on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Good evening, morning, noontime, wherever you're getting us. This is the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell, your host. With me, as always, the two guys that you are here to see and hear from, Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Welcome in. We're glad you're here. If you have not, if you were just viewing this or whatnot, please go ahead and subscribe to us. We'd love to have you getting this content on a regular basis sent to uh, whatever device you you check out podcasts on. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the Inside Carolina channel. Um, but either way, we're glad you're making us a part of your, your routine and working us into your rotation. Uh, this is, as we sit here tonight, we're recording this on October the 29th. Man, we've actually got games <laughs> coming up in the next week. And I know that uh, it seems like we have talked this team up and down and, and previewed everything. We've tried to save some content for everybody. So maybe we'll have some, some stuff for you tonight that, that you hadn't thought about or that our listeners hadn't considered. And I think we'll have a little bit of fun with this show. Sean Sherelle, North Carolina did have an exhibition and they did have a secret scrimmage, but the secret scrimmage is a secret. So we can't really acknowledge that North Carolina apparently did very well against uh, FAU down in, uh, in South Florida but it's a secret, so we can't really talk about it. But they did have an exhibition against St. Augs on Friday night in the Smith Center, which they won 117-53. to 53. Uh, Seven players in double figures. If you did not pay attention, Seth Trimble and Jalen Withers did sit out with a couple of little injuries, um, lower body for Trimble, upper body for Withers. I think for, for Withers specifically, I think if you're a fan of, uh, of English football, they will call that uh, a niggle. Um, so it, not, nothing really big time, just something that's, that's kind of eating at him. Uh, so I don't think it's anything long-term for either one of those guys, but we'll pay attention because this week the Tar Heels are going to host Radford next Friday night. The first real, this counts game of the season for either squad guys, first impressions of North Carolina versus St. Augs this past Friday night, Sean, you're unmuted. I'll come to you first. All right. I think, uh, first impressions, it was nice to see, uh, Carolina going against another team. I know we had uh, live action a few weeks ago, but it was good to see them getting up and down, see the see the rotations. Uh, I, I think a lot to take away, but at the same time, trying to temper any expectations given I remember the exhibition last year, and I think we talked about the the good ball movement that was shown in, in that game. So, um, But I, I think you saw a lot of 
interesting lineups. Uh, you got to see how the how the transfers were were working together with the returnees. I think you know seeing RJ, RJ come out shooting and scoring like that was was something else. I don't expect him to uh, you know have 17 points in the the first few minutes that much going forward. But I think you know seeing him as that elite scorer uh, playing on the ball as well as a little bit off the ball uh, will be really important. Uh, I think a lot of a lot has already been discussed about Elliot Cadeau, but I think watching his just first step, his quickness that he brings, as well as some of those easy baskets, just a few dribbles, pushing the ball up the court, um, and just getting some layups, which we we rarely saw last year. And then Harrison Ingram, I mean, it, I, I think he's in a perfect role as kind of a third, fourth option, depending who's on the who's on the floor. So I think there is a lot to like. Um, we'll let. You know, I'm sure we'll touch on Zayn High and and some others, but I think to me it was a very simple simple play early on in the the first half, and I, I think you can probably pick a lot of them. But it was just Elliot Cadeau, you know, dribbling dribbling left into the middle of the paint, and just a little little scoop out to RJ for an open three. And I think if those two can get their chemistry working together, um, you know, I I think that can that'll be a, a strong offensive offensive. Uh, showing so looking forward to seeing what what comes this week but those were just a few of the initial initial thoughts yeah i think those are all really good um really good points that you, that you saw sean i think that all of those things probably jumped out to to at least basketball freaks but there are also some some things that i think just long long time Tar Heel fans that may not be uh hoop heads like you are may have picked up on a little bit i do know elliot cadeau did yam on somebody at one point which Hadn't been a lot of that from uh, from the guard position in quite some time. Uh, Shrill, same thing, man. What were your first impressions coming out of the the match against St. Augs Friday night? Uh, that it was kind of weird to see R.J. Davis without Caleb Love because, you know, for the last three seasons, pretty much outside of that stretch when Kerwin Walton started their freshman year, <clears throat> it's been R.J. and Caleb together every single game. I think they played probably between 90 and 95 games as starters together. And we've never experienced what RJ is or, or will or, or, or can be without Caleb beside him. <clears throat> and that's not anything negative towards Caleb. It's just something new that, that, you know, that we haven't seen. So that was kind of weird just seeing them tried out and, and not having Caleb beside RJ. That was my first kind of like, wow, okay, this is very different. Other than that, <clears throat> again, I think it's about looking at stuff that's repeatable. It's about traits more than score or shooting percentage or anything like that. And I think a lot of the stuff that we've been told and that we saw in the live action scrimmage and that we've seen clips of is coming to fruition that, you know, Elliot Cadeau is a really good passer and that he's going to be an impact player. Like, I feel comfortable with that. And I think we haven't seen anything to dissuade us of that notion so far. Um, Zayden High, for example, <clears throat> we've always talked about his motor and how hard he plays. I don't think he's going to have 11 rebounds, maybe in a game at all this season, but his motor's there. And it's consistent. And that's something that's been a through line since he got to Carolina. So you expect his, his motor to be good. Um, Harrison Ingram, a guy who seems to make the right play most of the time. Obviously, there's going to be better competition. There's going to be more intense games. But a play I remember was in the first half. Um, I think he caught an offensive rebound. And he was about six feet from the basket. But there was a guy in front of him. He could have went over the guy and, and tried to make a contested shot. And instead... He looked to the perimeter, left-handed pass to Paxson Wojcik, wide open for a three. So I think that's kind of what's been missing a little bit from UNC the last 
couple of years, just that mindset. So we'll see what happens. But I think those are the things you can see, stuff that's repeatable and, you know, stuff that's traits. Speaking of things that were repeatable, uh, having that many good passers on the floor I don't think is a bad thing. And something that jumped off the screen at me was, and it was early on where I, I noticed this, the spacing that this team shows is something that has not been a constant for the last couple of years. And and I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on any specific player. I think it's just this group of players knows a little bit more about how to space the floor. And when you have good spacing and you have as many guys that are, are good passers, to your point about Ingram, Sherelle, uh, I think that's going to bode well just for the half-court offense, which was known as we've seen the last couple of years, even the, you know, the national championship run two years ago this team could absolutely beat the ball into the ground just sitting there dribbling it to death. So uh, it was really refreshing to see uh, to see that kind of spacing, uh, regardless of who the opponent was. That's a great point, Joey, because I think if you go back to when Hubert Davis was first hired, the first thing I think he said, he talked about shooters and makers, and he talked about spacing. And yeah. we made it a little running joke. It was like, okay, he's going to talk about this, 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 and spacing. And then it's going to be, you know, passing and shooting and passion and spacing. And it's going to be, this, 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 and spacing. And when Carolina played its best stretch, that 21-game stretch to end the um, his first year, a yeah. lot of that was was pace and space. And um, I'm curious to see if that comes back. I'm not ready to declare it back because they beat St. Augs in the exhibition by 60 or whatever, but it, it's good to see that it's at least top of mind and something they're trying to get back to. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly noticeable. I think that's the thing. I don't, don't know they'll be able to, that they'll be trotting it out that well every single game but yeah you're exactly right like it's it, it's it's good to see that that's something that is is top of mind for this squad uh one of the quotes that hubert davis said in the post game was he felt like he saw old carolina basketball in the game against st augs again try not to get caught up in the moment shrill you've taught me a lot about that about not being a victim of, of hyperbole but what do you think hubert davis meant by by old carolina basketball or at least what does that mean to you with regard to friday night Trill, yes. Okay, I, was, I wasn't sure I was going to raise my hand if I was going to. No, no, please go ahead. Um, I think a, a big part of it is, is fun. Uh, we, we've talked ad nauseum on, on this podcast and others that it did, just didn't look like fun. It looked like it was an exercise in, you know, check the box exercise. Okay, come to the court, play basketball, play hard, play smart, play together. Yay, whatever. It, it, that's kind of how it, it came off from afar. So I think that's number one. I think two, Pointing to the passer, something as simple as that. We saw Harrison Ingram, you know, there's a great photo. I'm not sure. Jim Hawkins might have taken it of Harrison Ingram uh, after he gets a dunk, pointing to RJ Davis, um, you know, and thanking him for the pass. Just something as simple as that. And then there was a lot of intensity. Um, we talked about how Cormac Ryan and Paxton Wojcik were intense guys. I think we might have slept on how intense Harrison Ingram is as well. And those three guys have infused, uh, I think, at least some outwardly noticeable energy and toughness and passion to use Hubert Davis's favorite phrases um, into the lineup. And you saw it in an exhibition game. And I, I think if you were contrasting the two exhibition games from last year where UNC won by 50 plus and this year where UNC won by 50 plus, they're very different in how they accomplished it. Um, and I, I, again, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. I just think it's noticeable um, that that passion was there. So, the, the point to the passer, the sharing the ball, and then just the fun and joy of being in a Carolina uniform that I think last year's team, I don't want to say they took it for granted, but 
you know, they got a lot of pats on the back last summer after that run. And I think maybe when you get a lot of those pats on the back, you're just not as ready to go and not as fiery. Whereas all these guys, as we said, come from a, a situation where nobody played in the tournament last year. I don't think a single player on North Carolina's team played in the tournament last year. So they're all hungry, and you saw that on the court. Sean, I'm going to ask you the same question. What, with regard to, to the performance on Friday, felt like old Carolina basketball to you? I think a, a joy playing with each other. Uh, it's easy to say in that exhibition. So curious to see the the body language as we as we go forward. But it from the very outside looking in, it appears they all enjoy playing with each other. Uh, even though they're you know some senior leaders and some guys that have been there with RJ and, and Armando, it, it seems they've uh, meshed well with the both the older guys coming in as as well as the the newer guys and. Uh, you know, you could kind of see as they were they were either coming out of timeouts or you know going in going going to the bench after after free throws, uh, that they looked like a, a joy playing together. I think that goes to Sherelle's point of a point to the passer. Um, but I think moving the ball, um, it's not going to be relying on on one or two two people. Uh, but once again, it you know we'll we'll see how things you know things progress once once the actual Division One and and the the big games. Uh, start to happen but it was an encouraging sign I think over the years uh, sometimes it looks like it hasn't been a lot of fun where the ball wasn't moving and people would get frustrated with each other obviously it was fun watching the the run uh, that they had but last year there's a lot of uh, bad body language signs even even early on and I I think too Joy um, (laughs) you know like with this team everything they've said is they enjoy being around each other they enjoy playing with each other now, uh, the cynical side of me says that if I had a situation like UNC had last year, that is definitely a talking point that I would I would be giving that, oh, we, we love each other. Yeah. We're happy to be around each other. So um, we'll find out whether it's something they want to believe is true or whether or not it's actually true. And I think the schedule sets up that when they hit that point where, you know, something's not going right or a shot's not going down, we'll, we'll be able to tell pretty quickly whether they actually are a cohesive yeah. unit like they say they are, or if it's just something they want it to happen. Yeah. I mean, by Christmas time, you'll have a really good handle on this team's chemistry. I believe I don't think that's a stretch at all. Sherelle. Um, so I know kind of the inclination is to want to poo poo the result or temper, you know, folks' expectations based on the opponent on Friday night. But since this team did not have the results they wanted last year, and since there was just not a ton of joy, I don't want to totally wet blanket what happened Friday. So play a little game here. I'm going to throw it out there. I know it's just an exhibition, but blank. Sean, fill in the blank. <laughs> um, I, I know it's just an exhibition, but L.A. Cadeau, well, I'm trying to remember what we had said a few podcasts ago, but will average uh, over six assists a game. I think that that's I think that's probably maybe even on the low end of the spectrum if he ends up getting the minutes that that we think he might get later on. I mean, the guy just looks to facilitate and it's it's actually really fun to watch. Um, I like that. Sherelle, same thing. I know it's just an exhibition, but blank. I know it's just an exhibition, but I think Harrison Ingram uh, will eventually be North Carolina's most uh, I want to say valuable, but uh, maybe most utilized player just because of his versatility to play multiple positions, his ability, we, we saw him knock down a couple open shots. Um, we saw him finish in transition, and we know about his passing ability. So I think 
maybe indispensable is the right word. Um, I just think he's going to be able to do so much and he's going to help everyone else be the best version of themselves. And that is the best version of him helping other people be their, their, their best self. Uh, I think that's really with him and Godot, that's what they do best. So I, I think he's going to be indispensable for them. I, I think he's a really, really good kid for UNC that maybe the fans and maybe the media kind of undersold a little bit because of what they had coming back and, you know, signing Cormac Ryan, but he was a big get for UNC and uh, just on the court and off the court, there's, there's not a more perfect fit. I don't think if you watch this interview, if you haven't watched this interview from after the game, do yourself a favor and watch it. Yeah, it's a great call out. Um, I, I do think he is going to be somewhat of a jack of all trades for this team. Uh, I think a lot of folks wanted Leaky Black to be that, and and he was in, in some instances over his time at Chapel Hill, um, maybe not to the extent that he could have been offensively. Uh, but as we saw with you know w- with with Harrison Ingram on Friday night, he looks comfortable stepping out. I do think he's comfortable with his offensive game. I don't think it's one of the situations where um, he's looking to press, especially being in a new environment. Go ahead, Sherelle. No, I think it's going to be one of those situations where uh, at the end of the season they're like. Harrison Ingram is only the fourth player in UNC history yeah. to have random stat combination, 75 steals, you know, 19 and a half, three point shots during yeah. ACC play road games. You know, it's going to be one of those where he's just going to fill the stat sheet of, of course, all pending health. But I think he has that type of impact where one game he might get 14 rebounds. The next game he might get two. One game he might have, a, you know, three assists. The next game he might have 10. You know, I, I think he has that range and, and that ability to be that versatile for UNC. Yeah, that absolutely could be like one of the Mad Kirshner lab con- constructs of, of types of stats that he'll trot out, you know, after games like that. And and I do agree with him. When it happens, we'll make sure we call it back out on the show. Um, Cheryl, I'm going to stay with you. I, I've had a couple of folks approach me, um, you know, in person, but also some people were hitting me up on Twitter um, about Elliot Cadeau. And, and I know Sean kind of went there a second ago, but I think people are already freaking out that even after one exhibition game, why isn't Elliot Cadeau starting? <laughs> First off, I think that makes my head explode a little bit. But uh, help me understand, please. Uh, or help, I take that back. Help our listeners and viewers understand, please, why they should not be concerned if Elliot Cadeau is not starting the first game against Radford. I personally, I I prefer he he starts along alongside RJ, just given what he what he brings. But I think at the end of the day, if he's on the floor in, in the second half and in, in crunch time, I don't think it makes a difference whether he's starting or not. Um, he could bring a little bit of a different dynamic, kind of let RJ uh, handle the ball early on, and then and move him off the ball once he gets once he gets warmed up. So I think you have to look at it from a holistic perspective on how many minutes is he playing and and is he playing when it matters and then how many minutes are, are Elliot and, and RJ playing, playing together. Uh, you know, the one thing from a starting perspective is you haven't really seen Hubert make many lineup changes, um, you know, throughout his, throughout his two years. But, you know, I, I, I doubt we'll see Paxton Wojcik starting 30 plus games this season could, could definitely be wrong on that front. Um, but I think more you want to see Elliot Cadeau can, you know, grow as the, as the season goes on. I think you're going to see some, some, uh, you know, some highlights right off the bat, some, some great passing, uh, the ability to, to beat his defender in the half court. But I think at the same time, it's going to be an adjustment defensively. Uh, and then it's just going to be an adjustment, especially 
once the scouting report gets formed on him, uh, he's going to have to showcase what he did in that live action scrimmage towards the end that he's, he's confident from three and he's not afraid to pull it. Uh, Cause I think once again, people are going to play off of him and, and try to force him, uh, you know, force him to be a scorer versus a, a playmaker, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not overly concerned. I would like it if it did happen. Cause I think you want your best five, but at the same time, come the second half, come the last five, six minutes, hopefully he'll be uh, him and RJ will, will be on the court together. Sherelle, I think my response when folks have asked this has been something to the to the effect of talk to me in January if he's not starting by the time the ACC season rolls around, you know, then maybe maybe you can get your your yourself all in a lather. Um, we saw him pick up four fouls in limited minutes against St. Augustine's, and I think that typically with Roy Williams' teams, it was that freshman point guards took a while to get up to speed, learning defense and learning how to call, you know, plays when they're on the, you know, when you're on the the defensive end calling out what you're going to run on offense and vice versa. Is it that simple or is there something maybe more here that, that maybe I'm downplaying a little bit? Um, I, I think it's probably that. And we always talk about how trust is the currency in which coaches operate. And it's nothing against the Cadeau because this is the first time he's ever played college basketball, but Carolina has a lot of guys who played a lot of college basketball. And I think the default setting for coaches is I'm going to go with, with the players I trust most. It's not to say that he doesn't trust Cadeau. It's just that Cadeau maybe hasn't had enough opportunities to fully earn the trust, if that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so, I, I mean, I, I think it's not a huge deal because I, I think he'll eventually be starting. I don't think it'll be that long, but he's just too good of a player, too smart of a player too good of a passer um, to, to not really have in the lineup. So I, I think it's not a huge issue at all. Uh, it's just him kind of learning the ropes. And, um, you know, R.J. Davis talked about it, that when him and Caleb Love came into UNC, there was no mentor. You know, same thing, because that, that was the the end of Carolina's three consecutive uh, uh, or two consecutive one and done. So, like, Joel Berry left, and then Kobe White came in, then he was gone, and Cole Anthony came in, he left, he was gone. And then it was Caleb and RJ by themselves. There's no one to kind of teach them how to do things. So I think having RJ there will help Cadeau kind of learn how to do things so he can not make some of the same early mistakes that RJ and Caleb made, which will benefit the team. Uh, So to answer your question, I don't think it's a huge deal at all. Um, It's probably a little bit of learning defense, learning sets, earning trust. Um, But he's too talented of a player, too smart of a player to, to keep out of the starting lineup for long. In, in my opinion, does Hebert Davis share that opinion? I, I think so, but I don't know that for, for certain. I think something else people should probably consider, too, is that since he reclassed, I mean, Elliot Cadeau still has to get used to being a college player, right? And that that includes everything off the court, not just stuff on the court. Um, you know, he was here for the fall semester, and I think, you know, going to class and, and starting practice officially and doing the lifting and things that are required with that, uh, require some adjustment. But then all of a sudden when you get into the season and you know, you've know you got games twice, sometimes three times a week, and sometimes you're on a plane and you're trying to work in study hall and you're trying to work in all your other obligations as a student, that can wear on somebody. And I think North Carolina is in a unique position where they don't have to start him immediately and can bring him along, like Sherelle said. And, and like Sean said, they can, they, they can kind of wean him in, have him tutored, have him mentored, and not necessarily have him hit that freshman wall that inevitably every freshman hits uh, earlier than he needs to. Um, so if you're still worried about why isn't Elliot Cadeau starting 
uh, before November. I think maybe Sean Shrill probably just gave you some some good things to think about there. Um, guys, I, I, I mentioned the the turning of the date here. Uh, it's getting ready to be November, which means hoodie weather, right? Big hoodie household over here. Wife loves them. I love them. Son loves them. My daughter's in middle school. That's all she wears is hoodies every day, all day. Um, and wouldn't you know what? I know of a place where you can get hoodies. Johnny T shirt, not just a creative name. It's a place right there on East Franklin Street and on the web where you can get all of the UNC hoodies that you desire. Uh, you can get multiple colors. You can get, you know, your typical heather gray, ash gray, depending on you know who the manufacturer is. You can get Carolina blue. You can get navy. You can get white. You can get all of these things. You can get them at Johnny T shirt. Premium subscribers to Inside Carolina know they can find that code right there on the premium message boards. Use that, get an extra 10% off what they already have in stock at already great prices. Use that. We really appreciate what Johnny T-Shirt does for our subscribers and for Inside Carolina. So we want you guys to show them some love as well. As you hit up this coming week for the Radford game, or maybe you're in town for homecoming, for football, or whatever have you, go to Johnny T-Shirt, hit them up, tell them we sent you. Uh, Sherelle, you don't need to cry. I know I mentioned football. I'm sorry. Um, Johnny T-Shirt will make you feel better. Go to Johnny T. We appreciate them. We want you to appreciate him as well. Take a quick break. Let the national guys run some of their stuff in here. We'll be right back with more Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thanks for being a part of the show tonight. I'm Joey Powell, Inside Carolina's Coast to Coast podcast. Sherelle McMillan there, Sean, Sean Moran there, talking a little bit about a UNC's exhibition winding down, and now they got real games coming up this Friday. So what I figured we'd do, rather than trying to, to kind of hone in on Radford or any of the other games they have you know, shortly on deck, I figured we'd throw some very specific season predictions out for you. Uh, Sherelle, I know we just had ACC Media Days uh, down in Charlotte, which I guess is where they're hosting them now. Um, I want to ask you, Tar Heels were finished or were picked to finish by the media third. Uh, I want to ask you, where do you think they're going to finish in the conference this year? Yeah, that's tough. I, I think Duke and Miami, I, I think, are, are definitely the top two, and they were they were voted the top two um, from a talent perspective and returning talent perspective. I think it's reasonable to expect Duke to to win the conference. Um you know, that hasn't always happened in the past when they've been picked, but uh, I I think it makes sense. Uh, Miami, same thing. Uh, good players coming back, good recruiting class, good transfer in, in Matthew Cleveland, so you expect them to be good. I think Carolina's right there, uh, and I think Virginia's right there, too. So I think those four, to me, kind of separated 
themselves from the rest of the conference. Now, last year, Carolina was picked number one and finished not number one. So uh, it's something to look out for. But I, I think UNC has the pieces to finish top four in the conference, get the double bye in the tournament, <clears throat> in the ACC tournament, and kind of go from there. So my expectation is definitely um, top four in the conference. Whether that's one or four, I don't know. But I, I think they should be in, in that range. Well, and who knows? With the round robin you know, gone and, and the way the unbalanced conference schedule is, um, you know, there's a, a very minute difference between sometimes one all the way to six. Uh, but Sean, I want to ask you the same thing. How do you feel like this team's going to finish in the conference this year? I think I agree with Sherelle on on top four. I mean, I think Miami. I was. I don't think they'll they'll finish second. I think losing Isaiah Wong is going to be a big blow, even though they and Jordan Miller, even though they do return a lot and and add some add some pieces. Uh, I think. UVA, I mean, with, with their style of play during the ACC regular season, they might lose one home game and they'll probably finish ahead of, of UNC. I think there's a good good chance. Um, I think Duke will finish number one, just given the talent they're returning and and I think that their defense, defensive ability from this year. Uh, so on a good side, top four, um, I think in that two to four range on a, on a, on a bad side, I mean, you know, going, playing at pit and losing a pit, playing, playing wake, losing. So there's definitely, as we went through the schedule, I think two, two shows ago, you know, there's some, there's some hard stretches and you could see them finishing that in that fifth to, you know, fifth to eighth range with a few losses. Um, but I, I think with the, the talent they have, um, with the depth, I, I think top, top four is pretty, pretty realistic. So, Sean, I'm going to stay with you. Another another question. UNC always gives out a team MVP award at their bank at the end of the season. Who do you think that MVP is? You know, we're sitting here in late March or April, whenever the season ends. Who do you think the, the is going to garner that award from the team? I'm going to go with, uh, I mean, the, the two betting favorites, obviously, Armando and, and RJ. Um, yeah, I think Armando will, will win that. And, and once again, I, I think he's the guy we barely – barely talked about uh the last few episodes but i think we've talked about him a lot over the years uh however i do think rj could could potentially you know reach justin jackson's 18 plus points per game that he did have in in 2017 and after joel joel berry's 17 the year after there hasn't been anybody that has averaged over 17 plus and i think if he stays healthy uh with with the addition of cadeau i think he should you know we talked about almost a Marcus Howard light for him of just, Hey, focus on what you do best. And that's score the ball. Uh, let's see if he can get the three point, three point numbers up. So I'm gonna go with Armando, but I, I do think RJ can put up some pretty, pretty big numbers on a optimistic standpoint. Trill, same question. I think it's fascinating that we did 30 minutes almost of a UNT podcast and we didn't say Armando Baycott a single time until Sean just did. Um, so I'm going to go with the big man just because <clears throat> he makes everything easier for everybody else just because he, you hear in football, you hear people talk about Tess Walker and gravity. I think Armando Baycott's kind of the same way in that um, if you double him, UNC has a lot of ways um, on paper this year to make you pay. So we'll see if that happens. And if you don't double team, then there's really only a couple players in, in ACC, really the country, who I think could keep Armando Baycott down for a whole game. So, I'll go with Armando Baycott as, as the MVP when the season's over. I think you could probably argue either side of Armando Baycott being being the MVP. I know uh, 
I know Sean laid out a couple of good reasons why RJ will get some looks, but I, I think Armando would, would make a lot of folks happy. And to your point about gravity, Sherelle, I absolutely think that um, it, I, I don't know how a team would not start by double teaming him or at least collapsing on him early. I mean, that's what, that's when he struggled is, is when he's seeing multiple double teams. And now he seems to have some guys that might be able to space the floor a little, little better for him, but we'll see. Did, did you know, you see a, a couple of times in the exhibition game, just going back to that, like, he made some really good passes that I haven't yes. seen him make in the last yes. few years. I, I, well, I that think that's confidence too. I think he's, I think he's confident in what's around him, um, which, you know, we didn't always see last year, but I absolutely agree with that. He, he passed out of what would have, would have been like a 10 to 12 foot uh, jump shot um, in that game that I didn't, I didn't expect that, that we've seen in the past. So um, that's a great point. Uh, before anybody accused me of being the Iraqi information officer, just giving, uh, fake news. I do want to point out, I said that the Radford game was Friday. It is not. The Radford game will be Monday, November the 6th in Chapel Hill at 7 o'clock on the ACC Network. They will follow that up with a game that next Sunday against Lehigh at 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, on the ACC Network. So forgive me um, if you were planning on coming on Friday. Cancel those plans. Hopefully you didn't uh, you didn't ink those in in the last 30 minutes and can't get out of them. Um, next question, Sherelle. Number of wins you think this team is going to pull this season? Well, I first need to see how many games they're playing. Uh, let me stall for a second while I look. I think it'll I be more than last year. I think it'll be more than last year. I, I'll tell you that. Um, so let's see. They're scheduled to play at least 30 games. I, I mean, I, I think 23 regular season wins to me sounds about right. That would probably put them around 15 and 5, 14 and 6 in the ACC. Um, and losing, you know, a couple of those non-conference games. So, I, I think that's pretty safe bet. You know, t- between between twenty-two and twenty-three wins is probably where I would put the floor. I think. Um, me being awful at math, I'm going to say I think it's around thirty-three <laughs> games that they're scheduled to play without the ACC tournament. Um, so low thirties. So, okay, so put push that up to twenty-four then. I, I think something twenty-four nine, you know, twenty twenty-five and eight, something like that. That's that. Uh, that sounds pretty reasonable, Sean. What about you, man? I was gonna say twenty-four, but Sherelle Sherelle took that. I mean, I, I think twenty wins last year. Once again, if if we were looking at this same podcast from last year, where we're taking overs galore, yeah. and <laughs> you, you probably probably could have faded every single pick. Um, you know, I, I think there is a reason to be a little more pessimistic, but at the same time, I, I think that twenty-three to twenty-five range uh you know if, if they're at 20 20 wins again there'll be a lot of unhappy unhappy people i would even though the expectations are a little bit uh a little bit lower this year uh rather than the, the number one preseason ranking but you know there's some some big losing streaks in there last year so i'm gonna go 20 24 25 okay. 25 25 well, for my f- final answer for the tens of people who are wondering why we're not doing an over under show uh, it's because last year's was such a train wreck. Um, I have kind of been hesitant to put that back together this year because while it was entertaining, um, boy, did we uh, did we miss the boat on a lot of that. I'm glad we did not take any of those to Vegas, or at least I didn't. Um, all right, last question, kind of on a season prediction vein. Sean, I'm going to stay here with you. Go out on a limb, all right? I'm going to make you just say a statement regarding the season that you think is, you know, not necessarily probable, but something you you would like to see happen, or your gut tells you will happen that may not necessarily be backed up with 
with stats or analytics or whatever? I think right now the team, Ken Palm, number 17, and the preseason rankings in, in the 19 through through 20s, depend, or even a little, maybe a little lower depending on what ranking or what magazine you're you're looking at. But once again, I think not many teams are bringing back such talents in Armando and, and RJ, both from a big man perspective and a, a, a guard perspective. Um, and then you, you kind of mix in the, the talent that they, they have and offensively, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic for what, what they can do offensively. Um, defensively, I think will be a little more hit and hit and miss. Um, but, you know, I think, Right now, I think they're being maybe slept slept on a little bit in terms of that that ranking, and I think if they can get get everything together, you know, I, I don't see why they're not making a strong run at a at a one through three seed in the tournament. Shrill, same question. Go out on a limb. You're out on a limb. Uh, statement for the season is blank. Uh, kind of off the wall, but last season they had 128 blocks during the course of the season, which came out to like three points something per game. Um, and, you know, they had Pete Nance, who, when he played the five, got a few block shots. And Linky Black was is a, obviously a great weak side defender and could block some shots. And then Baycott, I think, became a better shot blocker. But I think they'll surpass that uh, just because they can throw out some lineups with a lot of size. Yeah. Um, even even at the three and the four, you have someone as athletic as, as Jalen Withers, who, again, we haven't talked about. and. I think he's going to play a pretty important role. Uh, who can take some of those blocks that Nance had. Uh, I think Ingram's going to have a few. Obviously, Aquanco, that's one of his specialties. And then Baycott doing the same thing. Um, so I think between those four, uh, I, I think they're going to get close to, to that number and probably surpass it. And I think if you're blocking shots, then that means a lot of times you can control control that, turn, make it a turnover, and to get off into transition. So the more blocked shots you have, you know, the more transition opportunities you have, I think the better you are offensively. So I, I'm looking towards that as, as a number. Um, we'll, we'll see if they can get it. I think, again, it's three-point-something blocks per game. You know, you mentioned block shots, and you didn't even say anything about Zayden High, who I saw chase a couple down in the exhibition game. And and you'd already talked about his motor and his willingness to, to just go out and, and really play hard when he's on the floor. So no, I agree with you. All those guys you've listed, uh, plus Zayden High, gives UNC probably – uh, more guys capable of erasing shots than they've had in a long time uh, without having, you know, one uh, one specific uh, rim protector like a John Henson or somebody like that. All right, fellas, that's going to put a, a bow on the season prediction time frame. Shrell, uh, before we get out of here, one little recruiting bit that you wanted to share with folks. Um, sounds like A.J. Dibansa, the number one uh, player in the 25 class, a 6'9 forward out of Napa. California prolific prep got a little uh got a little gift from from Hubert Davis and the staff you want to tell everybody about that uh, he uh, announced an offer last week or I guess towards the end of the week uh, last week uh he is the number one player in the 2025 class and he was a, a 2026 player who reclassed back into 2025 I think depending on who you talk to he is either the number one or number two um High school player, it, regardless of class. Basically, there, there's three guys I think at the top: Cooper Flag, uh, Cameron Boozer, and AJ. And I think who you put number one is probably just a personal preference. But all three 
are you know the the elite of the elite the potential future all-stars the potential number one picks in whatever draft they go in so that's the type of player um that he is what we learned i think is that his move into 2025 uh caught unc's attention and it's kind of one of the things that helped usher the offer along and then that there is mutual interest from from his his camp from him and then uh from unc as well uh right now I think he considers himself more of a two guard who can also play some three. So that's kind of where he would slot in just pretty much as a wing um, if he were to matriculate to UNC. Um, I guess the next step is, is, is visits and all that stuff. But with a player of his caliber, you also have to think about the pro options, uh, you know, the Australian League, the G League, uh, Overtime Elite, all those are going to be vying for his services. So it's not just, you know, trying to be Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke for a player, USC, USC, UCLA. It's also those pro leagues too. So this is, uh, people want Carolina to recruit the best of the best. And this is literally the best of the best. So we'll, we'll see what happens and um, what they can do. Caveat that this is very early in the process with this particular prospect, Sherelle. Can you get a read on whether or not he might want to play in a, in a situation where he was competing against uh, Flag and Cameron Boozer on a regular basis? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, so he's he's plays in in California, but he's from Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. um, I think you know you hear rumblings about who's a lifelong fan of who and and all this stuff. But I do think he appreciates North Carolina and its history. Um, so that's that's something that could be um, appetizing to him. I, I think Hubert Davis in his pitch when he's uh, recruiting guys is, you know, North Carolina's the biggest stage in college basketball. Why, why would you not want to come play there? So that's what. He's telling those guys, and we'll see. Uh, the UNC staff hasn't been out to, to Napa yet, to Prolific, to, to see him. Uh, but I would imagine that'll happen at some point over the next few months. So, again, early, lots of competition, but you, you, can't, uh, you can't score if you don't shoot. So, Hubert is, is shooting, and we'll see what happens. Something to definitely keep an eye on. Appreciate the insight there, Mr. McMillan. All right, guys. Uh, it's that time in the show where we always like to – to give or I'd like to have you guys give your last two cents before we get out of here. And, you know, the whole thought about my two cents, my opinion or whatever. Well, you may think two cents isn't a lot of money. Well, congruity can help you uh, optimize your business to save much more than two cents, right? It's one of the reasons we've, we've named this segment is sponsored by congruity is because they can help your business save way more than two cents. I mean, they probably help you save two cents every second. Uh, what they're going to do is they're going to use their um, they're going to use their experience, they're going to use their expertise, and they're going to come in and help optimize the HR and benefit side of your business to get rid of some of the things that are bogging you down as a business owner. They're going to help you save some money so you can get back to running the core of what it is that you do well. Don't let that stuff weigh you down. Don't let the little minutia and the paperwork and all the other stuff like taking care of your employees that everybody wants to do. Don't let that become such a burden that you don't want to do it. And don't let it become such a burden that it's not cost effective for your organization. Let Congruity help you. If you go right now to Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels, they will do a free assessment of your business. They'll get in touch with you. They'll take care and let you know where they might be able to save you some money. So check them out. We appreciate Congruity being sponsored of this program. Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. All right, Sean, come to you first. Give me your two pennies for the night before we get out of here. I could probably give you a, a nickel with a lot of a lot of thoughts, but in, in terms of two, um, one would be alley oops. Um, I think from an Elliot Cadeau perspective, we saw what he did in, in EYBL. Often asked 
hey, is he going to be able to do that at the college level in terms of who UNC has? And I, I think we didn't see that in live action. We saw a few attempts um, in the in the exhibition. And I think we've talked about how he's going to create easy shots. And if he's able to get that step on people, you know, having to watch uh, Kihi Clark for UVA for so many years, he would get that first step, but he was so short. You just have to, you know, dribble around under the basket, waiting for somebody to open up. But with, with Cadeau, I think he's going to be able to get that first step. And whether it's Washington, Armando, some of the other bigs, um, you know, I think he's going to be able to get them some easy basket. So we'll, we'll be having an alley-oop uh, counter probably as we go through the season, just because I feel like we haven't watched uh, too many of those since the Raymond Felton, uh, Ty, Ty, Ty Lawson days. And then the second one is, is uh, three-point. I think over the years we've said, hey, can this team just get to eight threes? Because sometimes it's been so painful watching this team shoot. Um, and I, hopefully we're, we're upping that to, to, to 10. I know they had 10 in the first half. Um, but I think, once again, are they able to hit from the outside? I think a lot of the focus in terms of the players brought in offensively was on three-point shooting and better IQ from a basketball perspective. So if they're getting, you know, if they're knocking that eight out of the park, um, you know, I think UNC will be in, in good shape. I'm sorry, I was caught off guard because Sean just acted like Kendall Marshall didn't exist at all when he mentioned Raymond Felton and Ty Lawson uh, throwing alley-oops. So uh, I just, my brain exploded and I muted my microphone for a little bit there. But uh, we'll forgive you. We recognize that, you know, having a kid and can, taking all of your energy can sometimes distract you. And it's also, it's early in the season. We haven't knocked the rust completely off yet. So I'll let that slide, Sean. I'm not going to call it, you out on it. We'll, we'll uh, just say it's it's been a while since uh, you and C and alley-oops have gone together. Absolutely accurate. Uh, all right, Cheryl, give me your two cents worth before we, uh, before we put a bow on the show. All recruiting nuggets, so we'll blow through them real quick. So um, Ian Jackson, <clears throat> UNC's uh, 2024 commit, is scheduled to officially visit on Friday um, because of a rule in the NCAA. He was grandfathered in, so this is his second official visit to UNC. Um, the signing period for uh, the 2024 class starts the next week, so I think it's Wednesday the 8th or something like that. Uh, Wednesday the 8th, I think, is when it begins. So Powell, um, Jackson, and Brown can begin signing then if, if they so choose. That's the <clears> win- <throat> By me. the way, that's the Wednesday after the Radford game on that Monday. Correct. Um, that next weekend, uh, Koa Pete is going to take an official visit to UNC. We were able to confirm that this past week. Um, it'll be his first trip to Carolina. That's a big deal. He's one of those uh, top five players in 2025 with a UNC offer. That same weekend, Caleb Wilson, another top 25 player with a UNC offer, will be visiting UNC as well. Um, so they'll be around for that Duke football game and that Lehigh basketball game. Um, so two really big recruiting weekends for UNC coming up in, in the next two weeks. I think that's, at least for me, that's when I feel like basketball season is really upon us, when you not only have games, but you're hearing you know, this prospect and this specific recruit is coming in to check out the game and you know, do the whole football weekend or whatever. Like, that's when I think it starts getting real thick because um, that only happens in the fall, right? Like, they, that doesn't happen as much when, you know, you get the the prep and the scholastic season and you get the ACC conference season going. All right, fellas, as always, I love what y'all bring to the show. I love doing the show with you. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate the, uh, the delivery with which you bring it. Um, want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. Uh, be sure you show them some love, folks. If you ever need their services, they'll do you right. Uh, they wouldn't be a part of Inside Carolina if they weren't. So make sure you check them out. 
Uh, shout out to John Siegley for producing this show. And until next time, for Cheryl McMillan, for Sean Moran, I'm Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. We will talk at you sometime in the very, very near future. Late. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.